Good morning, church. You want to thank the Lord this morning, amen? Is God good to us this morning? If you believe that, let me say a big amen. amen. That's good. We'll continue on our series that we're studying. Entitled, Out of the Dark Ages. Studying the book of Romans this morning. And we're on, I think, sermon number four. We're still in Romans chapter one. And I felt we needed to take a different course and study about how much God really loves us. Amen? So we can fall in love with Him. The sermon titled this morning is Making God Like Us. God, who is He? There's so many people I've come in contact with that claim they have the answer of who God is. But every time I go around and try to get my question answered, I can never find the right answer for it. Even within our own church, there are many different people who have a different concept of who they think God is this morning, right? The only answer that I come up to this, with to this question is that we can't believe in what religions say what God is like. We can't believe in what others say who God is like. We can't even believe what I say or what you think in your mind who you believe God is like. The only person that we can believe who God the Father is really like is a person named Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? Found in the Word of God. Amen? For Jesus is the Word. And the Word explains the Father, reveals His beautiful character. So this morning, as we open the sacred pages of God's Holy Word this morning, may our minds be illuminated with the understanding of who God really is. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand your word. May be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. What did the people in Paul's day do? What did he do? The Bible says here, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then it says here, Paul says they changed the glory. Now God's glory is his what? Character. They changed the character, the, the thoughts and feelings of God, how he thinks, how he feels, how he looks down upon us, what he thinks about us, what he feels about us. The Bible says that Paul in his days, the people in those days, they changed the glory or the character, the thoughts or feelings of their God. What did they change it into? The Bible says, they change the character, the thoughts and feelings of the uncorruptible God, the infinitely and intrinsically good God. They changed it to what? Corruptible, wicked, evil, what? Man. You and me. And to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they were called foolish because they changed the glory of the infinitely and intrinsically good God to a person, a God, 
with the same character as you and me. That was their sin. Now, most of the heathen gods are mean out there. The heathen gods that they worship the gods, or at least a confusing mixture of compassion and cruelty. These gods, they require a lot, but they give very little. The constant quest of the worshiper is to appease the wrath of the gods out there through the means of religious ceremony, the giving of gifts, whatever it may be, or the doing of good deeds. Strangely, the gods out there, the heathen gods, they require goodness, but they themselves are not good. In Hawaii, the ancient Hawaiian, or even today, in the renaissance of Hawaiian culture, there is also the worship of gods. But what people think about the religious system of the old Hawaiian people was not the original true religion at all in the beginning. For it was a foreign religion introduced by Pa'au from Tahiti. They're not sure exactly when, but anywhere from the 11th century to the 14th century, Pa'au came with his warriors from his navy from Tahiti, and they came, in a sense, they overthrew the islands, in a sense. And there they introduced the human sacrificial system. I don't know if you, know, know if you know, knew that. They introduced the human sacrificial system. They introduced the oppressive kapu system. And then they also introduced the worship of the little nature god, like Pele, and everything. And they also introduced, and they changed ku which was a god in Hawaii, which was a benign god, a good god, and he changed this good god into a wicked and a very cruel god of war who needed to be appeased by the people. And so the people were oppressed during this time, especially by the god Ku, for he was a very vengeful, vengeful and bloodthirsty god. Now, this kapu system made the people very oppressed, was oppressing the people, especially the common people. They called them maka and ainana. I want to show you this diagram here. Look at this diagram by David Hiapo. And this is actually what happened. There's a little diagram he, he drew, uh, actually translated into English, you know, because of today. But in Hawaiian, they'll be saying this, uh, a kahuna used to come to the people, and they used to say, ku, which is the god of war, the cruel god was changed, requires a sacrifice. You, Leilani, are chosen because you set foot on sacred ali'i ground. They broke the kapu, which means to keep out. And then she says, I didn't mean to do it. It wasn't clearly marked. And they would take Leilani away from the family, from the crying mother, from the father who, who loses his precious daughter and he'll take her and offer her on the heiau as a human sacrifice to appease the gods. Cool in this situation. And sacrifice this human being to appease and to balance the kahunas and also the li'i, which is the chief. Kahunas was the, the priest. Appease the gods because they wanted mana. Mana means power, a divine power. And whenever they made a mistake by breaking a kapu, the balance of mana was broken, and so they had to balance the mana again by offering a human sacrifice. 
Finally, in 1819, the Kapu system, before even the missionaries came, just a few people witnessed to these kings, at the death of King Kamehameha I, after he died in 1819, King Kamehameha II, which was Luna Lilo, along with his wife, Kahumanu, and Keopulani, those two people, all these three people, overthrew the Kapu system. And with this, I want to show you the first quote on the left. She said, the highest ranking elite, the highest ranking chief in the whole Hawaii, she said, our gods have done us no good, for they are cruel. Now, some of us may look at this and think, what other nonsense? I'm glad I'm a Christian. Amen? I'm glad I'm a Christian, not a heathen. But not so fast. I wish I could say with absolute accuracy that Christianity is immune to having false conceptions of our Creator God this morning. But unfortunately, that is not the case here this morning. Let's look back to the Jewish church in those days. Turn to Psalms chapter 50, verse 1, 21. Psalms chapter 50, verse 21. What did the Jewish church, God's chosen people, in those days do? Notice what the Bible says. Psalms 50, verse 21. The Bible says, God is saying to his people, These things you have done. And God says, And I kept silence. You thought that I was altogether such and one as yourself. But I will reprove you and set you in order before your eyes. Their sin of God's Jewish church was that God said to them, there's one thing you have done. You thought that I, my character, was exactly like your character. My thoughts and feelings were exactly like your thoughts and feelings. My temperament is just like your temperament. But the Bible says, our hearts, right, are deceitful, desperately wicked. Also says in Matthew 15, 19, that out of the heart, the natural heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, out of the natural heart. So as we make God like us, we naturally make him evil because we are evil without God. And so we make a picture of God, that God is a heartless God, a heartless character just like us. My question to us this morning is this. Have we done the same thing to our God today? Since we are unforgiving to others, then we have a God made out to be unforgiving towards us. Since we hold grudges towards others, against others, now we have created a God who holds grudges when we sin. Since we don't love our enemies, we made God out to become callous also toward us this morning. And this morning, I again ask the question, are we doing the same thing that all the other heathen religions have done in the past 
is my question. Are we making a God into an image like ourselves? They made Ku, which was a benign God, a good God, into a wicked and oppressive God. They made him that way. In this picture right here, it wasn't the God Ku, because there's no really God Ku. Satan's using that God Ku. But what happened was they're using people to paint a false picture of who Ku was. Are you following me? But beloved, we're doing the very exact same thing. Satan uses people, church members, to paint a picture of who they think, or we think, or you think, or I think, who God is this morning. If you're not sure of the answer to these questions, then let me give you some examples of what's happening out there in Christianity, and I'll let you be the judge. A Christian radio preacher, he has a model out there when he's on the radio. And his motto is, turn or burn. <laughs> That's his motto. And this motto is what he calls the gospel. How many of you ever heard this probably in maybe one of our sermons in our own churches? One day, during one of his programs, he preached to his audience this message. And it's right, it's in here. This is what he says. I'm going to preach it to you, okay? Probably this is how it sounded, okay? Turn from your sins. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or God will imprison you in a fire that will never cease to burn you for all eternity. I suggest you get your act together in a hurry. And don't forget, God loves you. <laughs> you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard maybe in a Seventh-day Adventist sermon sometime in the past of that before? In the end, oh, don't forget, God loves you. He died on the cross for you. Make a decision for him now. By the way, right, by the way. Another example, true story. Man was in a hospital from an accident. After he got into a fight with his wife and losing his temper, his wife came to the hospital to visit him. Sitting there in his Christian woman said to him, God pushed your car onto the oncoming car, and that's why you're here. <laughs> and this happened that the pastor was visiting with, with his wife, sitting there next to him. And he said, as soon as he said that, he said, Amen. God sure knows how to bring us around, right? Do we do that? Do we picture God the vengeful God, cruel God. A woman who once requested prayer was then asked to pray by this man. Refusing to pray, she stated that she was afraid of God the Father. She's afraid of him. But then she said, but, but Jesus is compassionate. But hopefully he can overrule God's anger and his wrath by pleading on my behalf. Beloved, is that true? Jesus said, if you have seen me, what? You've seen the Father. In other words, God the Father and me, we have the same character, we're the same. God is love. I'm love. There cannot be a difference between Jesus and the Father. Amen. Beloved, there are some of us this morning who see a God who imposes his will upon us whenever he chooses. 
We see a God who is either loving or angry toward us, depending upon our successes or our failures. We see a God who plans the tragedies in our lives that brings us heartache and pain. We see a God who is quick to punish and slow to give out the blessings. In making the intrinsically good God like sinful man, we see an ugly, unattractive God who we can only despise through two ways, either becoming an atheist or a Christian who never wants to go back to church by the way he's been raised and how he's seen God. He hates God. He don't ever want to live for God. He wants to live for the world. Or we stay in a church and become a fearful slave of God within his church. If our picture of God is false, we will live a miserable life. Beloved, I can tell you from my experiences as a minister of the gospel that we as Christians generally have received a warped view of who God is. In different places where I'm visiting or in the hospital room and the comments that are made and in the homes, I hear a false picture of who God is from not only out in the world, from from church members, beloved, not understanding his true character. And somehow that text that says God is love has not registered. You look at this poem right here in this blue paper. Look at the inside paper. Like it, it says, I once saw God as through a window, a clear window, looking through. In my soul I peered. He was just as I suspected, just as I feared. So selfish and cruel. He appeared to be so very ugly, so unlike me. Then looked I deeper, still deeper with time. It was a mirror all along, and the image was mine. Isn't that true? See, all we know is what we know. We look at it from our point of view. We see God through our own minds, through our own glasses, right? We see it through our own eyes. That's how we see our God. That's our own. Everyone sees God differently from your own experiences in life from your own thoughts and your own feelings. So you see God how you see God, how you want to see God, what you know about God. But your picture of God is different from God's picture of God this morning, found in his word. Amen? For God is truth. He cannot lie. And he tells the truth of who he really is this morning. Now turn back me to Romans chapter 1, verse 25 as we continue our study in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Now what did the people in Paul's day do to the God they created? They created this God. Now what did they do to this God? Notice what it says. It says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie? and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, they changed the truth to a lie. They believed a lie. 
And notice this, they worshiped and served the creature. They worshiped and served this God, this false concept of who they created God to be. So is it possible, beloved, to worship and serve a God that we have created in our own minds that is not a true picture of the real God? Is that possible? In other words, is it possible to come to church and actually worship a being that's not really who he really is? Is it also possible, could it be possible this morning, that not only can we worship a God that is not really the true God of who the Bible says, but we're actually serving or ministering or taking offices within the church and serving this God who we think is the real God, but is actually a false picture of who that God is. Is that possible here this morning? According to the Bible, it is. They worship the creation of their own hands when they change the beautiful, good God into a God of their own minds. And then they not only made this God, but the Bible says that they worshiped and they served and they took positions in the church and they were on a nominating committee and they were on a church board. And they came to church every single week. Amazing. Here's the problem. Our picture of God determines our motivation. Now follow me on this. Let me say that again. Whatever picture you have of God will determine what your motivation is. If our picture of God is a picture of a mean and a cruel God, then we will serve and worship him out of a fear to not be punished or a hope, if I do what is right, that God will bless me and be rewarded. Are you following me? So now you're following cause to effect now. So now our motivation changes. And beloved, fear is not enough powerful force to hold you through. Fear will hold you for only so long. I've seen people who, I got almost, God saved me from an accident. I changed my life. I gave my heart to God. Fear will hold them for, it depends on the person. It may last for a month. It may last for a year. It may last for a few years. Five, ten years. Whatever. But it would never last. Love is the only thing that will not fail, the Bible says. Love is the only motivation that will motivate for eternity. What is the reason that we don't love God? Turn to 1 John 4, verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. First John chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, He that doesn't love doesn't know God. For God is love. The reason why we don't love God is because we never really knew God. But we knew God, then we would love Him, right? Again, our picture of God determines our motivation. If our picture of God is a picture of an infinitely and intrinsically good God, then our motivation for worshiping and serving this God will be 
love, beloved, this morning. Amen? Amen. It will be love for God. Look at this quotation from Desire of Ages. I'll look at the next one on the bottom of the, the inside left page. It says here clearly, it is not the fear of punishment or, or the hope of everlasting reward of being blessed by God that leads the disciples of Christ to follow him. What is it then? Right here. They behold the Savior's matchless love. Revealed throughout his pilgrimage on earth, from the manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross, and the sight of him attracts. It's not a burden, it attracts them. It softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart of the beholders. They hear his voice and they follow him. What beautiful way to serve the Lord. Amen? What happened next? Turn to Romans, back to Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. I'm going to read a few texts here. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. So, first they did was they made God and changed his character to be like their wicked characters, his thoughts and feelings. We told it inspiration is character. So, thoughts and feelings into their own character. And then they worship and they went to church and they served and they served on committees and boards and everything. Nothing's wrong with that, but they're the wrong motivations for serving him. And because of that, they made God, they put God down to their. Image. Notice what is the natural result. It says, for this cause, because of this, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the unnatural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Homosexuality, a natural result. Then it says here, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, Backbiters, haters of God, despite, despiteful, proud, boast, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, placable, unmerciful. You see, the natural result of worshiping and serving a God with human-like qualities is wickedness. You see, the principle holds true that whatever you behold, you become. So first of all, this is how it works. First of all, you make God how you think God should be, which is like you. You're unforgiving. You have a bad temper. You have no patience. God's unforgiving. He's not patient with me. I make a mistake. He's mad at me quickly, angry. Because of that, we worship and serve him out of fear, wrong motivation. But now we have a false conception of God, so we're, 
worshiping this God. We're beholding a wicked God. Therefore, we never change. We stay exactly where we're at. There's no transformation in our lives because our picture of who God is is just like us. Are you seeing that? A picture of God must transcend it. It must go beyond who we think God is. That's the only way we're going to change. If God is beyond what I am and what I think and is what the Bible says He is, then I'll be transformed into what I behold and I think and I meditate upon. But when we meditate upon evil things, natural things, what's going to happen is that my life's going to continually reveal these evil and wicked character traits within my own life because of who or how I see God to be. How is God's church worshiping and serving Him today in the last days? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Notice what the Bible predicts and prophesies that's going to happen in the last days. The Bible says, This know also, that in the last days, Perilous times shall come. In what days? The last days. What's going to happen in the last days? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Do you see these things in this world today? Then it says, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, High-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And then notice this last verse. Specifically talking about people in the last days, it says, having a form of godliness. In other words, these are people who put on the form or take on the name of being a Christian, a form of godliness, pretending to be, saying they're Christians, saying they're an Adventist. So specifically talking about within the church of God in the last days, there were people who professed to be Christians, but they are denying the what? Power thereof from such turn away. It has been prophesied that in the last days there will be a people professing to be Christians, but not having the power to live Christian lives. Are we there yet this morning is my question. Within our own churches. Are we seeing those evils within our own church? Look at these quotes. I want to show you some quotations. Um, inspired writing. Of the time when Ellen White wrote these comments was back then when the church was more on fire than it was today. And notice what it says. It says, It is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Now, not one in 20. Say there's 70 people here. Say there's 80. Say there's, give you, there's 80. One in 20 would be there's four people in this church who would be saved or converted. I hope I'm one. You probably hope you're one. Everyone's hoping they're one, the four. But it says here, not one. And I give it, God has blessed his church, so there is one. 
It says not even one. But we say God's blessed. There is one. Say there is. Four people in this church. Can you imagine? Then another testimony it says here. There is great necessity for reformation among the people of God. Do we need a reformation in our churches today, beloved? Do we need a revival within our churches, beloved, today? Yes, we do. The present state of the church leads to the inquiry. Is this a correct representation of him who gave his life for us? Is this really a representation of a God who sacrificed his life for us on the cross of Calvary this morning? My only answer to this question is no. I've been in the ministry for about 10 years now. And I come to the realization that our churches, including the Honokawa Church, is in a pathetic spiritual condition. I know that's hurtful to some of our pride here this morning. There's no way in our present spiritual condition that we are going to be make, able to make it through the last days. Beloved, this is the truth. So now that we see our pitiful condition, what is the solution then? What is the solution that God has for us this morning? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, Behold. Behold means what? Look upon. To think upon. To meditate upon. Behold what manner of love. Manner of what? Love. The Father has given upon us. Beloved, the call today is behold the Lamb of God, and we behold the Lamb of God, it will take away the sins out of our lives. Amen? Amen. Behold the love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has for you this morning. The solution to a pathetic condition today is for us to see and meditate upon the love that God has toward us, you and me here this morning. Amen? Amen. You see, I come to the conclusion that preaching to you passionate and powerful sermons that either convict you or reconvict you on what you should be doing is not the solution to our current problems. We're not going anywhere. You know why? Because most of us here this morning, you already know what you should be doing, right? We're just not doing it. I mean, all honesty, right? Don't most of us already know what we really should be doing? You read. You know where the church should be at spiritually. You know where your standards should be. You know where you should be spiritually, right? You already know. The only solution to a wretched condition as a church is to understand and meditate and behold the great love that God has for us revealed through his word so that we may fall fully in love with God. Amen? That is the reason why I'm doing this series. 
My primary goal, primary goal is for you to fall so fully in love with God that you serve Him with all that you got. You serve Him with all that you got. For we truly love God, we would worship Him and serve Him with our whole life. We would give Him everything that we got. Our heart, our mind, our soul, and everything that we do. I realize that the problem in our churches is not that we need to hear sermons of what we need to do, but we need to hear sermons that reveal the character of God's love to us. If we would fall in love with this God, there's no obstacle in this world that would hinder us, beloved, this morning. I continue this poem here. It continues from the, the beginning one, in the beginning of the sermon. It says, I now see God as to his son I gaze so beautiful with goodness are all of his ways. As I continue to look deeper, still deeper with time, his character of love finds a mirror in mine. When I was younger, there was a I lived totally for myself in my life and lived very selfishly in my life. I didn't really care about what people thought, about what I did, or where I went. And at that time, I did not know who even God was. It's interesting, I realized that where I grew up and what church I went to, it wasn't a spiritual experience for us young people. It was more it was a social experience for us. Fun experience. Being entertained, having fun. And so there I was. And finally I went off and I was getting more and more in this selfishness and worldliness and pride and materialism and this a whole different lifestyle. And it got worse and worse and worse. And finally I came to a point where I hit some very hard times in my life. And I hit my rock bottom. Looking up, I had nowhere to go. So I turned toward Jesus. And I started having little times with God. And after a while, I started having devotional thoughts and studies every morning and spending time with God. And it's interesting, I realized that it wasn't any sermons that brought me to God. Because I felt the sermons there never led me to love God. It wasn't the church that brought me to God because I didn't really see the love within the church that brought me to God. It wasn't any people I knew that brought me to God because I didn't see the love of God through the people. It wasn't through the Bible because I didn't study the Bible. God used hard experiences of my life and used that experience to teach me that, and to see and to taste that God is good. Amen. It was out of, outside of the whole religious experience. He took me on a different pathway and, and took the hard experiences of life to reveal to me that God, God's character is a character of love. I can't explain it. God started working in my heart. 
And it's not just an intellectual experience that I know God, I love God. Beloved, it is an experiential experience that I had this morning. I've experienced the love of God, and not everyone here knows what I'm even talking about this morning. You, this is probably over the head with some of you. I have conversations with people, and I start talking about my love relationship with God, and you know how He's moved in my life, and He's directed me, and I just see blank stares with some Christians sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about? But it's an experience with God, and I know God, and it's real with me. It's not something I have to make up or read about in a book. And He's revealed to my experiences, and, and moment by moment in my life, that He is real. And every, he's moved by providence. Something happened in my life, he revealed a little picture of his beautiful character of love. Something else happened in my life, and he reveals another picture in my life of who he is. It's not just hearing a sermon or Sabbath school, it's an experience with God. Amen. So I came back to this church. I didn't know anything. And God involved in youth ministry, that's me involved, be the AY Adventist youth min, um, leader within this church, on the church board. And I admit, I made terrible, many mistakes. But I sincerely loved God at that time. And so as I did this, God somehow, and beloved, I was going full-time student at a university at this time. Now think about this. Full-time student, like a full-time job, full-time student, going to school, involved in youth ministry, working hard, I gave my all. It wasn't out of fear. It wasn't out of being rewarded or just going to a social club and do, because, because it's my position. I did it because I love God. Amen. God blessed this ministry in spite of my many mistakes. And I think about it, wow, he blessed so much. Just one person. We had a, we had a Adventist youth board committee that met once a month. We had about 13 of us, including me, that's bigger than a church board here in Honaka, in Pune. Not a paid worker. I was just a church member. The pastors, the other pastors in this conference, they call me the grassroots pastor because they say I became up among the people. I know what it is to sit on a church board. I know what it is to go full-time student and give my life to God. And the motive, and I realized it hit me. The problem is not to tell the people what they need to do more so but help them to fall in love with God because if they fall in love with God, they'll be fully committed to God. Amen. And I was fully committed to God and serving and God blessed. And the Bible camps, we had Bible camps sometimes that had more people in this church with just the young people. The activities were so active. We had so much events we were planning. I was always thinking about ministry. I was in my classes and my studies. I was thinking about ministry. I was, I was thinking about it all the time, beloved. It wasn't something I just thought about doing on Saturday. It's something I want to do all the time. Can you imagine a church full of people fully in love with Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. So God bless. God bless this ministry. And I came to realization as I thought about it recently again that what we really need to do as a people Fall in love with God. Amen? I believe that what the time we need to hear today is sermons. What we need to hear today, the time is now for sermons on righteousness by faith. Sermons that will help us to fall in love with God. For when we fall in love with God, there will be nothing that we wouldn't do for Him this morning. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.